Good morning, church. I'm so excited to be able to be with you guys again. I love our church so much, and I'm just so thankful that we get to spend our lives together in this community. For those who haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and my wife Taylor and I, we lead Chi Alpha, which is our college ministry to you and I in Hawkeye. I also serve as the worship pastor here at church, so usually you'll see me there in a fun time. Anyways, that's me. I love this time of year so much. I love Christmas. I love that we get to just look at the season as we gather together to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We get to reflect on this past year and just kind of marvel at all that God has done. See, I think it's a little bit easier in this season to kind of sense and feel wonder and feel excitement, to be in awe of God, of our lives and the world around us. Christmas kind of brings out like the inner child in us where we look at the lights, we get to see the snowfall, someday it'll fall, and then I get to use my new snowblower, which will be fun. Anyways, and we get to look at the story of Jesus with a sense of wonder. However, for me, this childlike faith, this sense of wonder, to be honest, has kind of been challenging my entire life. I'm a pretty logical person. I like sound reasoning. I love a good spreadsheet. I like thought patterns. That's what gets me up in the morning. So for me, this can make sometimes this sense of wonder challenging. As a child, this made one thing about Christmas very, very hard, and this is the idea of Santa. While the children around me were in awe of Santa at the mall, I'm like, you guys smell him, right? Like, this can't be the real Santa, this guy in the mall, okay? The logic behind Santa kind of takes... A lot of faith, right? And this is hard for me because my brain's a little logical. So in my first house, we didn't have a fireplace. I'm like, hmm, does he like ring the doorbell and say, ding dong, Santa's here with your gifts and my parents magically are the only ones who hear it. Like, how does he get in there? How does he make it around the world so quickly? I don't know, that doesn't really make sense to me. I'm like, my dad speeds a lot, but he can't make it around the whole world in his trucks, let alone this. They're not at this service this morning, so I can say what I want. Anyways. I think of Santa, we put out cookies, and I'm like, so I was a husky child and liked to eat a lot of cookies, but I'm like, I couldn't eat that many cookies, like this many cookies for everyone around the whole world. Again, the math just isn't adding up. I tried to create like six spreadsheets, like cookies per hour, and it just didn't work out. <laughs> or there's one really big thing every year, threw me off. So look at the gifts, and the ones that said from Santa, and the ones that said from mom and dad, the handwriting was eerily familiar. I'm like, hmm. Unless they both learn to write in the exact same pattern, this doesn't make sense. Or the fact that some of the gifts that said from Santa on them, I had seen in my parents' closet just a few weeks earlier as I was snooping trying to find what my gifts were going to be. It's like, hmm, this doesn't make sense sometimes. See, this lack of faith, though, sometimes made me lose the wonder of the Christmas season as a child. As Jesus followers, we talk a lot about faith, right? Have faith in Jesus and then you'll be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Everything is possible for those who have faith. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have faith? And once we figure out exactly what faith is, how are we to balance that in a world of logic and reasoning? I think many of us struggle with faith. We struggle to trust anyone or anything, especially if we can't feel it, see it, or explain it thoroughly. This blind trust idea seems rather challenging. We live in a culture that seeks to explain everything away. We want everything to have a scientific reasoning behind it. We want complete understanding. We also want to know everything before making any decision, which has made the internet really good and really, really bad in some ways. So we don't want to leave anything up to fate or just trust, so we research everything. That's why 
I spent so much time researching before I bought my snowblower. It was ridiculous. I remember I woke up one morning like in a cold sweat, like really stressed, like Husqvarna or Arians, which brand should I buy? Should I get the one with the headlight or no headlight? What if I want to go outside in the dark? Granted, there's a light outside of our house, so why would I need it? But it'd be kind of cool to have a headlight in case I want to. Heat warmers, question mark, that could be kind of fun. I wear gloves, but you never know. It makes things hard. Our lack of trust in things also, I think, leads to anxiety. What if something goes wrong? What if we screwed up? What if I bought the wrong snowblower? I've thought that every morning since I bought it, so pray for me. (laughs) We live in a culture with access to more information than ever before, and I think this might be directly related to our increased levels of anxiety. We have so much information, so many things to try to learn and figure out, that if we don't have all the answers, we feel like we're coming up short. And I think this is also true with just the amount of information we have. Everyone's got something that's either news or some people fake news or some people's got theories. Other people, it's called a conspiracy theory. Everyone's got these things rattling around their brains. There's so much out there, right? So what are we to believe anymore? How are we to have faith in a world full of this fake news or limitless information and social media platforms that allow us the beautiful opportunity to argue with our loving friends, families, coworkers, strangers, the Hy-Vee checkout people? We get to argue with all of them about what we believe. It's fun. Faith in 2021 can be a challenge. But I don't think this is any more of a challenge than it was in the first century. We are currently in the second week of our series called Wonder. We are looking at the Christmas story and how it should cause us to have a sense of wonder. If anything is true of the last couple of years, it's true that we've kind of lost our childlike wonder. COVID's kind of grounded all of us and has led us to lose this sense of wonder and hope that's so beautiful about our world. Our prayer is that as we look at the Christmas story, we can recapture the sense of wonder just the goodness of God. This morning, we're going to continue in our Christmas story by looking at the story of Mary. In the first century, Mary would have lived in a very patriarchal society where sexual impropriety would have led her to shame and sent her down further the social ladder. Mary also, at this time of this story, would have been at most 15 years old. When we pick up our story, she's engaged to be married to Joseph, and she has her whole life ahead of her. And then her life is interrupted by a visit from an angel. We read this in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It'll be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can also get that out now. Luke 1, 26 through 38 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Excuse me. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you've been found with favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of the Father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for just this opportunity to gather this morning. God, thank you for the Christmas story. Just look back and marvel. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The title of the message this morning is The Wonder of Faith. The Wonder of Faith. 
So we look at the story of Mary, and to me that sounds like quite an unsettling Christmas gift. Not only does Mary see an angel, which would be a little frightening, the angel tells her, the 15-year-old virgin, engaged girl, that she's going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. Does Does Mary respond with blind faith, with instant acceptance? No, not at all. Mary responds the way any rational human being would. She responds with measured uncertainty, measured uncertainty. She was greatly troubled. Mary tries to discern what kind of greeting was this. And the Greek word, which for our word like discern, was to mean audit, add things up, ponder, to be intensely rational. Her immediate response is not immediate blind faith, but instead she thinks, how could this be? Too often, I feel like when it comes to faith, we feel like we either have to have blind faith where we just accept it immediately, or we're a skeptic. Those are our two options, we think. But Mary is showing us right here that that's actually incorrect. She shows us throughout this story that faith is actually all about a process. The first step of this process of faith is that measured uncertainty. Or it's just kind of like questioning, like not quite understanding. It's questioning, but something that's key is that in her doubt, so she did have doubt, but in her doubt she had an open mind. This open mind portion is very important. See, earlier in the Christmas story, there's someone else who's met by an angel and then has doubt. His name is Zachariah. But after Zachariah is met by an angel and has doubt, he ends up losing his ability to speak. God takes it away and makes him mute. Why did that not happen to Mary? Well, the difference comes to what they did with their doubt. See, Mary, in her doubt, was just kind of seeking information. She's like, well, I'm I'm a virgin, and then I'm going to have a baby, and there seems to be an important step in between that I haven't done yet, so how is this going to work? She's seeking information. I get it. That's fair enough. She's just kind of curious. However, Zechariah is like, prove it, God. Prove to me you can do this. He's not just seeking information or knowledge. He's seeking proof. Make God prove it to him who he is, which shows a closed mind. Tim Keller says in his book, Hidden Christmas, some doubt seeks answers. And some doubt is the defense against the possibility of answers. There are people like Mary who are open to the truth and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than they thought. And then there are those like Zachariah who uses doubts as a way of staying in control of their lives and keeping their minds closed. So if you're here this morning and you struggle with some doubts in the walk with Jesus, Mary is showing us that's okay as long as you are open to the truth, as long as we are open to God showing us that there is a better way, the way of faith. I think sometimes we use our doubts as like a fence we build around ourselves to keep ourselves enclosed in so we're in control. Like, I've got these doubts and no one's going to prove them wrong. I'm not going to have an open mind. My mind is closed. You're not going to prove me what to do. This is my fence and I'm inside. It's kind of a way to protect yourself. When doubt should actually just be like a portal or an entryway to gaining knowledge. So instead of keeping us closed in, it's an actually taking us to the next step. Faith and knowledge are not mutually exclusive. Rather, according to Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, he's one of the greatest biblical minds in all of history. According to Charles Spurgeon, faith is the first step of knowledge. So actually, he says faith begins with knowledge. So like I've said, when it comes to my own life, faith can be a little bit of a struggle. So in order to start this process of faith, theoretically, I'd want to gain some more knowledge. So for me, 
something that I kind of struggled with was the idea of the resurrection of Jesus. It just, it's kind of mind-blowing, right? This one will rise from the dead. That just is a big deal to me. So at first in my childhood, I was kind of scared to like research or think more deeply about it because I was worried that it was going to increase my doubts. But instead, the contrary was actually true. So as I researched the resurrection of Jesus, I found a few things to be true. I found one thing to be true, that the gospel writers, when they told the resurrection of Jesus' story, the people that they chose as the first eyewitnesses were women. And in that time, a woman's opinion and what they saw and their eyewitness wasn't as valuable to the society. So for the disciples to have a woman be the first eyewitness would be highly irrational if they were trying to make up something as a story to get them famous. But women were there, which shows to me that they probably didn't just make it up. It probably was an actual account of what happened. Hmm, that knowledge helped me. Or the fact that all the disciples except one were killed for their faith in Jesus, faith in this resurrection specifically. And as much as I love a good story, and I think being famous could be fun, sometimes maybe not, I don't think any of that's worth dying for. And the fact that the disciples would die for that proves to me that maybe they were onto something. Like, I don't see them getting ready to get, like, get stoned. I could be like, all right, I'm just kidding. I made it up. I'm sorry. It's my bad. I'll back up now. Right? That might happen. But instead, they didn't do that. In the face of adversity, in the face of death, they stood strong. The knowledge of knowing that helped my faith. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. See, as I re- researched things, I gained knowledge. Knowledge about the resurrection, which made my faith or my belief or my trust in the resurrection story, it made that faith actually easier. Knowledge, instead of hurting my faith, actually grew it. So if you struggle with faith, maybe a general faith in God or maybe just trust in general, a great first step is to try to acquire knowledge with an open mind. So spend time reading the scriptures. Read books by people who have followed God or studied the Bible for a long time. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I pray that we are a church that is willing to ask questions. Ask questions to your pastors, to your leaders. Ask God questions in prayer. God is not offended by your uncertainty. God's okay with you coming to him with questions. His goal is just to help you along the process of growing in faith. And that begins with acquiring knowledge. Another thing that's important is when you try to acquire knowledge... Don't just do it to try to prove yourself right or to like find ways to criticize other people, but instead come in with an open mind and say, God, whatever you want to teach me, I'm here. I'm an open vessel. Use me in the way you want. Because stubbornness will not equate well with faith building through the season of trying to acquire knowledge. Rather, come in with an open mind like Mary. What did Mary do? Did Mary get mad at the angel? No, she's like, was just inquisitive. Look back to the story of Mary and what she did, and she just was open to let God reveal truth to her. Also make sure to do this in the context of community because sometimes when we try to acquire knowledge on our own, we get a little off the beaten path and come up with some crazy ideas. That's why we need friends that kind of like slightly push us back on track, right? At least I need friends. I get some crazy ideas of my own. Anyways, so we start with measured uncertainty, which leads to knowledge. But with Mary, it didn't stop there. She didn't stop with just questioning the angel. I think the most important verse of our story is verse 38, which says this. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's not saying right here, oh, now I get it. After she asked the Holy Spirit questions, she's not saying, I fully understand how the Holy Spirit's gonna make me pregnant. She's like, the logic and science is very clear now, angel. Thank you, angel, for choosing me for this. Mary's probably thinking, not. I can't wait to tell my friends and family. That as a matter of fact, I did not have sex outside of marriage like you may have suspected by my pregnancy before I was married. No, actually, the Holy Spirit did this to me. Thank the Lord, I'm perfectly chaste. I bet Mary is thinking, they'll definitely believe me. Thank you, God. No, 
Mary is not saying, I fully understand. What Mary is saying here is, you know, this doesn't quite make sense to me. I don't get the anatomy side of things, how I'm going to have the baby. I don't fully get it. But you know what, God? I trust you. I will follow you. I can be obedient. By Mary surrendering this to God and accepting his call, she's growing in faith, but she's also throwing her own plans out the window. I imagine 15-year-old Mary, when she's getting ready to marry Joseph, is thinking about her kids she's going to have. She's thinking about the house she's going to have someday. She's thinking about the life she's going to live. She probably just wanted a simple life. However, God came and turned those plans upside down, so Mary had to surrender her plans for her life. However, because Mary was willing to surrender her plans to her life, here we are 2,000 years later still talking about Mary. Sometimes we need to surrender what we think is best for our lives in order to achieve what's God's best for our lives. Another thing about this simple acceptance of Mary is it actually probably ruined her culturally. Everyone was going to assume that Mary had committed adultery and that Jesus was born out of sexual misconduct. Mary was going to plummet herself down the social ladder. She would be thought of as sexually promiscuous for the rest of her life. She would be the scorn of society. Who knows what her family, friends, what they would all think of her. However, the way people thought of her, the society around her did not stop Mary from surrendering. Even though she can be looked upon poorly by everyone around her, she still surrendered. In the face of adversity, Mary chose to trust God. See, seeking out knowledge, that's a great first step. However, we cannot be paralyzed by this need to know everything. We must be willing to obey God or follow his commands without fully understanding it. See, we think sometimes that we must be fully on board or fully in complete alignment with God. We must fully agree with and understand what he's telling us to do before we obey him. And this is simply not the case. Sometimes we will not understand the things we read in Scripture. Sometimes it will make us uncomfortable. Sometimes we will not like what we read, but it is in the Bible, so we will trust it because God is smarter than I am. Sometimes God is asking us to be like Mary and to submit our thoughts and our opinions and our beliefs and simply accept what he is telling us to do and we choose to trust God because God is smarter than I am. God's not dumb, so I'm going to listen to him. Sometimes we will not be able to grow in faith until we step out and we trust God enough to do what he's asking of us. For example, I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you spent the last five years of your life reading 74 books on the making of a chair. You've listened to 300 podcasts. You actually have obtained a doctorate in the art of the chair. You learn everything there is to know about chairs. You know how they're made. You know the science of them being sturdy. You know the math of why your gravity and when you sit down, why it'll hold you up. It all adds up. You get it. You know why the chair will not break when you sit in it. You have all the knowledge in your brain that when you sit down in a chair, it will not fall. However, the best test of you being able to have faith in that chair It's not something you read in a book, but it's you sitting down in said chair. Until you sit down in a chair, you will not know if you can fully trust sitting in a chair. So not until you take a step of surrender, an act of obedience, and sit down, will you fully know if that chair can hold you. This step of surrender or obedience, this action, will grow your faith in the chair more than any amount of knowledge ever could. This is the same with our faith. If we want to grow our faith, if we want to grow our trust in God, we have to be obedient to what God tells us to do. Because we can read all we want about God, we can learn all the things, we can listen to as many sermons, read as many books, but until we take a step of obedience, we will not know if we can trust God. Because we won't know he comes through on his promises until we watch him come through on his promises. For example, 
Maybe it's hard for you to believe that you have any more time for God. You don't feel like you have time to read the Bible. You can't go to small group. You cannot serve in the dream team. You don't have enough time. Until you actually sacrifice your time and do those things that God has asked you to do, you won't really know if you have the time. You have to trust Jesus and give him some of your time and see what he does with the rest of your time, right? Because until you trust him with some of your time, you can't trust him. You don't know for sure. Same thing goes to our entertainment. Maybe you're thinking, I have to watch this show. I have to use this app, play this game, do this thing to make me happy. We think nothing else in the world can fulfill me quite like that. But then maybe the Lord's going to convict you and tell you, maybe you need to limit your time on that. Limit your screen time. Get rid of that app. See, God says, I promise you I'm enough for you. I'm going to fulfill you. I am enough. I am more than that form of entertainment. But until we trust him to actually obey him and maybe stop watching Netflix six hours a day or delete TikTok or do something like that, until we trust him, we will not know if he can fulfill us. Until we trust him to fulfill us, we won't know if he can fulfill us, right? Or maybe it's with your finances. Maybe you think, I just can't afford to tie the full 10% of my income to the church on top of giving to missions and the poor. So maybe you've done the budget, you've made the math work out, and it just, it, it won't work. However, God does promise us that if we trust him with our finances, he will come through. He says, I'll use your little and make it a lot. He says in Matthew 6 that we have no need to worry about the things of this world or material wealth, because in Matthew 6 it says that if you seek first the kingdom of God, all else will be added to you. So it says that. But until you surrender your finances, until you go out on a limb and trust God to do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%, you will not know if you can trust God with your finances. You won't know what's going to happen to the budget because a spreadsheet does not dictate the work of God in your life. So until you trust God enough to say, I'm going to give you that first 10%, you have no idea what he's going to do with your 90%. And the beauty of me talking about tithing is I don't benefit from you guys' tithings. I don't get paid from the church, so I can say whatever the heck I want. Amen? Amen. We must have a simple acceptance. God, I don't know how it all works. But God, I'm going to trust you and surrender what I think is best. And surrender my ways for your ways. I'm going to be obedient to you because I trust you. Obedience really is a trust issue. We think that whatever we are pursuing, the sin we're pursuing is better for us than what God has for us. We think we're smarter than God, which just doesn't make any logical sense. We also must be willing to live a life of simple acceptance, even if it's going to make people think differently of us. See, Mary was scorned because of her acceptance. We don't know, but I can imagine her family, her friends, they just didn't think of her the same way. Who knows if she was even allowed to be a part of her family still. Are we willing to be thought of as a little strange or a little different because of our obedience to Jesus? Are we willing to be different than the world around us because of our obedience to Jesus? This step of surrender is a huge step in growing our faith because as we surrender to God, he will come through on his promises and then our faith will grow. So if you want to grow in faith, my challenge to you is there's something God's probably telling you to do, do it and watch him grow your faith. Don't just cry out, God, help me grow faith. He's like, I've been trying to for the last five years. You haven't listened to me. With this, we must remember also, though, that we need to trust God's timing. So it's not like that there's this Netflix show that you've been trying to get rid of, and the moment you stop watching the show you've watched every day for the last 10 years, you're going to be immediately filled with joy and like start floating on clouds with happiness. Like, yes, God, you fulfilled me. No, it might take a couple weeks to overcome like that addiction, right? It might take some time. We have to trust God to work in his timing. However, when we surrender the areas of our lives, and we surrender the sin in our lives, and we trust that his timing it will all be good, he will come through in his promises. As we see God work time and time again, 
our simple acceptance will actually grow into something new, which points us back to the story of Mary. See, after Mary says this, I'm a servant of you, God, she actually goes and she visits Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist. And while visiting Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and like reassures us, Mary, you're about to be the mom of the Messiah. This is awesome. Thank you for letting me be a part of the show. She was really excited. And obviously, this led Mary to do the only thing a rational human being would do. She starts singing. She busts out in a song of how good it is. This song is like the ultimate expression of faith for Mary. I just picture her like, like never mind, I'm not going to go into Disney princesses with little flowers, things like that, and birds. But anyway, that's what I'm picturing right now. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyways, this song is her expression of faith. This song is Mary going from measured uncertainty to simple acceptance and arriving at faith-filled wonder. She now starts to trust the Lord and be in awe of what's happening. She's in awe that she gets to be the mother of the Messiah. She's saying in the song, I can't believe this is happening. She says, the Messiah we've been waiting for is coming, and God chose me to be his mom. God chose me, a young, lowly teenage girl who has no idea what's going on, to change the world. This humbles Mary. No longer is Mary calculating, how's this all going to work? How am I going to be able to pay for the baby? Is Joseph going to be mad at me? She's not thinking about the pros and cons list. No, she's arrived at a sense of wonder. She's caught up and captivated by what's going to happen. She's amazed that, God, you chose me. She has faith in God that causes her to wonder at the good things God has done. So before my wife Taylor and I took over as the Chi Alpha directors, it was in 2020, and this thing called COVID happened. I don't know if you heard of it, but it changed my new job a little bit. And so stepping into this, stepping into a new position right before COVID was a little nerve-wracking, right? I was like already nervous. I'm pretty young. I'm like, oh, now I got to lead when there's masks and everything, and I'm so stressed. This caused me a little bit of concern. Some measured uncertainty would be to say the least, right? But then I acquired some knowledge, and I learned what the school year is going to look like. I learned if we're able to have meat in our service, I got to learn everything about it. And that helped me a little bit, right? I got a little bit more faith that the year was going to work out okay, <clears throat> excuse me, because I learned some things. However, that wasn't enough. There came a moment where my wife, Taylor, and I, we knew all the knowledge we needed to know, but we were on a walk. And I was telling Taylor, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to lead Kyle from the midst of COVID in my first year, and I'm it's way over above my pay grade. In that moment, I went back and I prayed in my closet, or my office, not a closet. I wish I had a prayer closet. It'd be cool. I went back and prayed, and I came to an acceptance with the Lord. I said, God, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm really stressed. But I said, all right, God, if you're in, I'm in. Let's try it. So I'd have a moment of simple acceptance. And then came the first Chi Alpha service of the year where we saw the largest service in Chi Alpha history. We saw more students come in that every seat in that auditorium with social distancing was packed. So I had to kick all my small group out to the lobby. It was awesome. I remember sitting there during worship, just looking up and looking around and seeing all these masked teen or teenagers sitting worshiping God in the middle of so much uncertainty and so much stress. And I looked at God and I said, God, why me? Just a month ago, I was sitting going on a walk doubting you, and now you're using me to lead something that's way better than I could ever imagine. God, why me? See, my measured uncertainty helped me grow in knowledge, which led me to a step of simple acceptance and surrender, which led me having a beautiful moment of faith-filled wonder of God. Why me? This is how we should respond when we look at the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that we if we have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of us. And then Jesus will cover all of our sins because of what he did on the cross. The truth of the gospel is if we have faith, we get to spend eternity with King Jesus. This should cause us to say, me, God, 
are you quite sure? God, do you know what I've done? Jesus, you know my thought life, right? I'm pretty sinful. We should be just as shocked as Mary is that God would give us, even with our flaws, our issues, the gift of salvation and life with King Jesus. That fact that God chose to use us should cause us to wonder. I think too often we think about Christianity as something we do. Like, yes, I'm a Christian. I work very hard. I read the Bible. I get up early to go to church or a little bit less early to go to the second service, even though God loves you too, 11 a.m.ers, anyways. I read the Bible. I obey Jesus. I'm a good person. See, we think being a Christian is hard work, but boy, I'm doing it. I grip my teeth and bear it. If this is our view of following Jesus as something we do, as something we have to work really hard to strive towards, there will be no wonder in it at all. It'll be more of entitlement, like, I get what I've earned. I've done X, Y, and Z, so God has given me my rightful contract of eternity with him. Rather, if we have the correct view of following Jesus, which is something that we can never do on our own, that we'll never be good enough at, we will arrive at wonder. Tim Keller puts it this way. However, if Christianity is something done for you and to you and in you, there's a constant note of surprise and wonder. See, the key to having a faith-filled wonder to life and following Jesus is humility. It's recognizing that we don't deserve any of this. By the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, I get the opportunity to have faith in Jesus. I think it's too many times we think of following God like as an obligation, like, oh, I have to go to church, I have to do these right things. If I don't follow the Bible specifically and do this, I'm going to get in trouble. God's going to be mad at me. When that's not what faith is. Faith is saying, God loves me despite my flaws, so I'm going to try my best to please him because he's such a good God. Not I have to do this or else I'm going to be scared that the, boogie behind, or the boogeyman behind the window or the Christmas tree is going to come out and fight me. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, wow, God, me? Okay, I'll trust you. And this humility will lead to gratitude. So instead of focusing on the negatives in life, we'll be thankful for the life God has given us. And that's when we've arrived at true faith, when we recognize that we do not deserve any of this. We do not deserve life with Jesus. We don't deserve the opportunity to obey God and have a relationship with the God of the universe. Do you realize that our God loves us so much that he gave us a book to tell us how to live? And sometimes we choose not to use that book because we don't want to. I think too often we view the commands of Scripture as something that weighs us down when in actuality it's the best gift we could ever give that say, here you go, here's how to live a life in fullest abundance. We need to stop undervaluing the Scriptures, Derek, myself very much included anyways. See, the beauty is that there's nothing we could do to earn or lose God's love, and that should cause us to wonder. Faith leads to wonder because through faith in Jesus, we recognize that our God is so good. He keeps his promises. He comes through even we don't hold up our end of the bargain. Even though our sins are what nailed Jesus to the cross and pierced him, he still loves us. And as we have faith in God, he will come through and give us life. That causes wonder. The main idea this morning is this, that faith leads to wonder over what God has done. Faith leads to wonder over what God has done. Maybe you're here this morning, and if you're just honest with yourself, you've lost some of your wonder. You've lost that childlikeness. You've lost your astonishment at the world God created. Maybe you've been a little hardened by the world. Maybe you've lost someone to COVID. Maybe you've lost some friends due to political divide. Maybe you can't find any hope in the endless news cycle of negativity. I get it. It's pretty easy to look at this world and to kind of be hardened and, find, and to struggle to find wonder in it. 
we're constantly surrounded by all, all the things that are going wrong, right? And this can cloud us of any good. This hardening makes faith quite challenging. It's hard to have faith that God is good, that there's good in the world, that it's all going to work out. We are surrounded by the logic and reasoning that this world is just getting worse. And maybe this lack of faith in God, maybe because your life's not going the way you want it to right now, maybe instead of looking at the world and saying that's, not, that's getting worse, maybe you're thinking my own personal life's not getting any better. Maybe all this is happening. Maybe something bad happened to you recently and it's really struggling for you to find the goodness in that situation because all you can think about is that negative thing that keeps coming back. Every time you try to pray, you think about, no, God didn't come through on that one thing I keep thinking of. All these things can make it hard for us to surrender to God and trust that he is good. And maybe this puts up walls in our lives and say, God, I'm not going to obey you until I have all the facts and 100% certainty that it's going to work out because last time I felt like you failed me. And this is just going to lead to an endless cycle of never growing in faith because as we do not step out in obedience to God, he won't have anything to come through in because we're not actually trusting him anything. So then we think God doesn't come through. So then we keep not obeying him. It's just an endless cycle of not obeying God, not surrendering, an endless cycle of your faith staying exactly where it's at right now. What we need to do is have simple acceptance that leads to surrender in an area of your life because that gets like the cog in the wheel going to get your life to grow in faith. As you take one act of obedience to God, watch him come through and grow your faith. And sometimes this coming through is not gonna look quite the way you wanted it to. Maybe it will not make sense to you. God doesn't say I'm gonna answer every prayer in the exact way that you want it to in your head because God is smarter than you and you probably don't know the best way for your prayer to be answered. So God is saying, I love you too much to answer your prayers the way you want them to be answered because that's not gonna work out the best for you. Maybe you'll look at the world and it's not gonna make sense and it's gonna be hard for you. However, this is where the good news of the gospel comes into play because we know how the story ends. See, we know that eventually King Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set everything right. We know that Jesus is going to come and wipe away every tear, every sense of anxiety, every stress, every death, everything. He's going to wipe it away and he's going to restore this earth to a place of beauty and goodness. That's why we can have faith because we know how the book ends. We know that God wins. And if we have faith, we get to be on the winning team. What better reason to trust him than already knowing the end? And as you surrender to God, this will fill you with a faith-filled wonder. Faith-filled wonder can only come when we take a place of humility. As long as we think we've earned everything, that we are good enough, that God owes us something, we will never wonder at him. We never wonder at our job for paying us our paychecks after we've worked the set amount of hours. We're like, thank you, work for paying me what I've earned. No, we're just like, that should have come a couple days earlier and a little bit more money, right? But if we keep a correct posture towards it that we don't deserve any of this, we'll have wonder. It goes back to this, this saying we always have is, why do bad things happen to good people? And to be honest, that's the incorrect question to be asking. The correct question should be, why is anything good happening to a bad person like me? This humility will cause us to wonder this sense of wonder is going to help us grow our faith in God. See, we are in a world that can look bleak and it can rob us of wonder. But we have a choice, church. We can choose to succumb to the darkness. We can choose to conform to the world around us and blend in to the hardening. Or we can lead a rebellion of wonder in a world of indifference and desensitization to the good news of the gospel. It's up to us. We can choose to be okay with some uncertainty. To take the time to ask questions and to grow in knowledge. 
We can choose to not feel shame when we have doubts, but rather to come with an open mind towards our doubts and say, God, I'm not quite sure. Help me understand. However, when we come to that place and we don't get all the answers we want, we can choose to have simple acceptance and surrender to God because we trust that God is smarter than us. And as we do this, God will grow our faith. And eventually that faith will lead to wonder as we look back at all the things God has done. I can't wait till I'm an elderly man. I want to be a grandfather really bad. It's really weird. I don't have any kids, but it's the truth. Because when I'm elderly and I have grandchildren, I'm going to look back and say, God, you've done so many good things. Just be able to see the goodness of God. Come on. Getting old sounds fun. Maybe I'm wrong. We can recapture a sense of wonder. All it takes is being willing to follow Mary on her process of faith. We have to remember again, Mary didn't start with wonder singing songs of joy about being the mother of Jesus. No, Mary started with God, I'm a virgin. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out. She started there. Here we are 2,000 years later telling the story of Mary on a Sunday morning in the middle of Iowa. That could cause some wonder, right? How did Mary get there? She said one simple sentence. A sentence that I think we should emulate. It says this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In our terms, she said, God, I trust you. I'm all in. If you'll stand with me. If you're here this morning, and if you're honest with yourself, you've never really taken that first step of faith. You've never said, God, I want you to be my king. We've never given our lives to Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to change that this morning. So if that's you, and you want to take that first step of faith and give God control of your life for maybe the first time or maybe again, I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not as an act to me, but as an act to God, to say, God, I'm all in. So if that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for being a God that comes through in your promise. God, I just think back to the Old Testament when the world looked bleak, God, and they had no hope for Messiah. As Mary's world was there, there was no hope, God, that you came through in your promise to bring us salvation, to bring us grace through your son, God. Thank you for King Jesus. And my second way of responding for us this morning is I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're all in some step of this faith journey. Maybe you're at the place of doubt or measured uncertainty where you just have no clue what's going on. You're just kind of trying to try this. So you need to maybe gain some knowledge. Maybe you're at the place where God has given you something to simply accept and surrender to him, but you haven't done that yet. Maybe you're in that step where simple acceptance is next. Or maybe you're, you've started surrendering things to God. You started giving things to him, but you haven't really arrived at that sense of wonder yet. Maybe you're trying to go to that faith-filled wonder. We're probably somewhere on this little map that we've painted. And so what I want you to do is I want you to put your hands like this. And I'm going to pray. And this is just a posture of receiving. And I'm going to pray over our church that God can help us advance to the next phase of our faith, that God can grow our faith. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to have faith, God. Thank you for not giving us all the answers, because that wouldn't be quite as fun, and that would have caused nothing on our part of trust, God. Thank you for choosing to use us and to make us, help us grow in trust, God. I pray for our church that wherever 
people are at this morning, God, that they will take the next step in their road of faith, God, and that we will arrive at a church that is, has faith-filled wonder, and that will be a beacon of hope to the community around us this Christmas season, God, that will be a church that trusts you and is full of wonder, God, while the world around us is full of darkness and despair, God. I pray that we will be a beacon of hope amongst the darkness, God, that we will be a church of light and a church with faith-filled wonder. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.